Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Adam Jones and Chris Beasley to chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And of course, it is all about Project Restart. Will this season resume? If it does, how does it resume? And maybe will it resume at all? Much to discuss. Uh, the events of the Premier League meeting on Monday threw up a number of talking points and we'll go through them um, and try and make some sense, if possible, of what's going on and maybe what will go on. Um, I mean, first of all, uh, uh, to discuss this on the pod, lads, um, Chris, I'll start with you first, mate. Mm-hmm. On, a, on, on a personal level, do you have an appetite to see the season come back around June time? You know, or, or, you, or do you feel that the season should just be finished and, and we should like France are doing, Holland are doing, and, and, and Belgium, uh, wait until it's safe to, to restart, or sorry, wait until uh, to launch the new season and, and forget about yeah. this one now? It's strange because I think my, my thoughts have changed over time when we started off. I thought, yes, let's wait, let's wait as long as it takes for it to be safe. This season's three quarters of the way through. Let's get it finished. You know, even if it takes going into the, the back end of the year and what would, would normally have been 2020-21 season. But yeah. the more I've heard about all the weird and wonderful ways these fixtures might be played, and I use those words euphemistically, my appetite has waned in that we've seen the death figures rise. We're now more deaf than any other country in Europe, second only to the USA. And this idea that football is just trotted out like performing seals almost. I mean, one thing that didn't sit right with me, and there's talk that it might um, not be happening now, was that was the whole neutral grounds. Because I understand, first of all, we wanted to have the fans in, then we quickly realised that wasn't going to be possible at all and might not be possible for a long time now. Um, certainly in the, the, um, the short-term future. Um, so we got our heads around that, OK, they're going to have to be empty stadiums, but we at least thought that this format, which has been the bedrock of the football league, you know, home and away fixtures, you play every other team twice, once at your ground, once at their ground, for 130 years, might be compromised by this idea of the um, the neutral grounds and then, then the various other sort of really bizarre suggestions like shortened games and um, things like that. So... I would like. I think it is best that we, we we at least try to to do this. But if it can't be done properly, then there are, there are issues for me. Adam, uh, how has your has your opinion changed, like Chris's, over time? What's your thoughts on whether you you feel football should be coming back next month? Uh, I think I think I've got to completely agree with what Chris says. I think he was absolutely spot on. I think you know. Few months ago, you know, when football was brought to an end, you were th- just thinking to yourself, oh, "Right, I can't wait for football to get back. Let's just move through this and you know get get the football season back on the way as quickly as possible." And as B said, 
you know, this season's three quarters of the way through. I think the focus should have been on this season rather than moving on to the next season and what have you. But, you know, the, the more this has gone on and, you know, as B's quite rightly said, we've got more deaths than anyone in Europe now. We're only second to the US in the whole in the whole world. Like, the idea of bringing football back into this environment just doesn't, doesn't sit right with me. It, it seems a bit self-serving to be thinking that football is the thing that's going to unlock the morale of the country you know there's there's so many people in this country who just aren't football fans and they just and they don't really care about football you know i know there'll be millions of people who do care about football but you know there'll be just as many people who just don't really care about the football season coming back and you know to all the all the rigmarole of all the teams having to go through so many tests you know when you know we're still seeing frontline nhs workers aren't getting the right amount of tests or protective equipment you know surely that should be the focus rather than giving this to you know football players or people who work for clubs to you know bring back a let's be honest a non-essential service so yeah I, I it just doesn't sit right with me you know and as Chris says rightly says as well the the neutral grounds uh, idea that that just was a bit of a non-starter for me as well because you know you're talking about the integrity of the competition but that seems to mean for the for the higher ups in the Premier League. That only seems to mean, all right, well, let's just finish the games. That seems to be the only thing that affects the integrity of the competition. But you know, if you if you're having, let's say, Everton's first game back from this break would be against Liverpool. How's it fair that Everton have had to travel to Anfield this season, but Liverpool wouldn't have to go to Goodison this season? That surely affects the affects the integrity of the competition. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of there's a rather, lot of really strange ideas that are floating around and there's still so many issues that need to be sorted. I just can't see how it's going to be back by June. Um, Chris, we'll, we'll come back to um, neutral venues, but Adam touched on it. The government seemingly firmly believe that a return of Premier League football will, para, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing mm. the quote here, um, lift the nation's spirits. I'm sure it will... Um lift the spirits of all the thousands and thousands of, of football fans who wanted to get the football fixed, haven't we? We've had more than our fair share of nostalgia matches, watching games from <laughs> years gone by, and it's never quite the same, is it, when you know what the, the final result's going to be But beforehand. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's strange, though, isn't it? It depends what what sort of football will it be, like like we've, we've spoken about already. Um, you can't have it that it is... The full package in the like you know f football is is nothing without the fans and that's a massive factor not having those those fans in the stadium but that can't be helped at, at the moment so if we're going to have to have it it would be football without the fans in the stadium but as both adam and myself have said if we're going to be compromising issues with all these other factors into play i mean is it really going to be that, that that great of a spectacle. What it would do is, I, I guess, that um, there's going to be uh, a lot of games televised. Ne nearly all the games would be televised if they do come back. So there'd be plenty for, for people to be watching. But um, having done an article in recent days, I believe um, most of them still would be um, on the paid for channels. There was this idea that we were all going to be able to watch all these these games for free. I presume season ticket holders at least will will be able to do that that would only, only be fair well, yeah. yeah this idea that it's still 
it's all going to be on on the subscription um, channels. It might not be the, the so-called festival of football that it, it, it's been made out to be. Certainly, given that people obviously can't watch them in the pub at the moment. Well, just just that's a really interesting point, uh, Bees, about season ticket holders. What do we do in that respect then? Because it seemed logical to me at the start of this that if games were to go behind closed doors, then season ticket holders should be given access to a live feed of the game. But if clubs are then going to offer refunds on season tickets, does it then become ever more complicated to then still provide a feed for those who say, we don't want a refund, we just want to watch the game? You know, Where does that end? And that seems like an absolute legal, logistical minefield. Yeah, it's all unprecedented, isn't it? We're in uncharted waters and it's sort of every respect, whether you're talking about society as a whole or, or, or football here, um, I would think whatever happens, uh, for me, you, you've got to give access to those people who've got the, the season tickets, even if you've given them a refund. I think that's the least they deserve is to, to at least be given an opportunity to, to watch these games in, in, in some um, shape or form. Adam, so, so of course, so let's bring people back up to speed. We talk about neutral venues, but of course, at Monday's Premier League meeting, um, it was decided that the Premier League would go back to the government after some serious opposition from, I think, all clubs to some extent, but I think the, the feeling was it was around 12 heavily opposed to neutral venues. The Premier League uh, said they'll go back to discussions with the government this week around uh, ditching the neutral venues idea and following the Bundesliga for, um, example and using grounds as normal, of course, but behind closed doors matches. Is there not, is the, is, is the big issue, the big issue I can think of, I don't know if you, if you agree, it was raised by the mayor, of course, a couple of weeks ago. It's been able to control potential for crowds to gather outside of grounds while these games are going on before or after. Is that an insurmountable hurdle or is that something that everybody's going to have to find a resolution for if neutral venues is off the table completely? I don't think it's an insurmountable hurdle. I think it, it is something that people are going to have to be prepared for. I think we saw it in the was it the Paris Saint-Germain against Borussia Dortmund yeah. Champions League game. Sort of mm -hmm. congregation outside the stadium for that one. But you know, I, I don't I don't think they will have been necessarily prepared for that to happen. Like in this case, they will be extremely prepared for it to happen, and I'm sure they'd be able to bring in a number of measures. The the main issue that I can see with going to the German model is that the, 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 way, the way that things have worked out in Germany is very different to the way that things have worked out in the UK. You know, they yes. seem to be a lot further down their respective curve than we are. So I, I just don't see how we can, in, in such a short space of time, how we can modify ourselves to be able to actually follow their model properly. No, and you know we're still seeing problems with the German model as well. You're seeing the Dynamo Dresden squad are all you know quarantining themselves now because of three three players have picked up the virus, and you know that could that could respectively happen to one of the Bundesliga teams. You know we we just don't know how it's going to work down the line. So I think maybe trying to move ourselves towards the German model and trying to put up this German model as the you know the bastion of success. That's maybe a little bit too soon, even in itself. You know. Whenever we seem to turn towards a possible solution, there seem to be six or seven more problems that seem that seem to rise up. It's 
it's a really weird situation at the minute. Yeah, we will watch um, the return of the Bundesliga this weekend with uh, with a keen eye, won't we, and see, see how it goes down. But of course, um, Chris, just picking up on Adam's point last night, um, Richard Masters, the CEO of the, of the Premier League, he'd been asked about the potential of, of players Premier League players testing positive for coronavirus and would that inevitably lead to a Dynamo Dresden style shutdown of the club? But he said, theoretically, it would only require that individual to self-isolate and the squads wouldn't have to. But for you, you know, that, that felt to me like it was almost being a little bit idealistic because surely if he's come into contact with his teammates and more than, more than uh, that individual would be testing positive, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, we saw at the very start the the outbreak. Um, Mikel Arteta, of course, former Everton player, now Arsenal manager. Um, um, he, he had the virus, and that came shortly after um, Arsenal had their game against Olympiacos, and uh, the Olympiacos owner, who also owns Nottingham Forest, had supposedly met some of the Arsenal people then. So yeah, the, the, all their teammates, their teammates' families. I mean, it it, it goes on and on, doesn't it? The government talking about this um, this figure of how the um, virus is transmitted and keeping that below one but yeah if, if you think about the the, the way it, it does go from from person to person yeah it's, it's, there's a whole network of, of people who could be involved both inside and outside the club so yeah, it, it's, it, it's a dangerous um, game isn't it they just say oh well that one individual self-isolates we've seen at Brighton and Hove Albion in, in recent days um number of um, Players, I believe the last one was actually one of their senior players um, to have to have caught the virus. So it, it's it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, you, you might end up that we we play the fixtures and then the, there are games called off again because people at certain clubs have, have got it at certain times and, and the games can't be fulfilled. And does it? Does just, a, sorry, Adam. I was just going to say, does a virus which is which has created a global pandemic does that have to be classified as as an injury? In that respect, if you if if say example we lost Richarlison and Calvert Lewin to a positive coronavirus test, do the do the Premier League and everybody else just say, well, sorry, that's just an injury, you know? But but that could be the difference in in the games between, you know, we could argue finishing seventh and finishing eighth and and what have you and all that goes with that. I mean, mm. it, it, again, is, is, are there not potential legal ramifications? People challenging. Um, games going ahead if 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 squads have been depleted of key players because of a virus. Well, you'd presume so, wouldn't you? Because as you know, as I said earlier, this is a non-essential sort of activity, really. You know, to bring them football back, you know, we we would like the country would survive if if football didn't come back for the next few months. So it's a non-essential activity. I, I suppose it would just be classed as a normal injury, but I just can't see, as you say, how the legal ramifications of that would work. In terms of what Richard Masters said, it, it just seems like a huge attitude change for me inside the space of two months. Like this, this was why the Premier League was suspended in the first place, wasn't it? For the danger of, you know, one player maybe getting it and then a whole squad has to isolate themselves. Like that was the whole reason that we brought to like the Premier League to a stop in the first place, and we all decided that that was completely the right decision. It was for the the good of the whole population of the country and etc etc why has that changed in the space of two months when we've only seen the death figures rise and rise you know we we've apparently come over the, the peak of this curve now but it, it, it you just can't predict what's going to happen in the future i just don't see how 
we've had such a I don't see the evidence there to have such a huge attitude change in the space of in the space of two months. You know, if 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 a player in a squad was to you know test positive for these uh, coronavirus symptoms, that surely means the whole squad should have to be isolating, and then you just you open up a whole new kind of worms if that happens. You know, in the middle of these remaining games, it's, it just just baffles me to be honest. Yeah. What's well, a salient point that that Phil makes in that? Do we treat it like any other injury? Because if a player has has the flu, for instance, I mean that'd just be like an injury. It's tough luck, isn't it? You get over that, but which you, I suppose in in extreme cases the flu could kill you. But this is something that which can kill people and is killing people all the time. Now, how do you differentiate between like regular injury and then coronavirus induced illness? Does it just get classed as? Tough luck if you've only got the one out. It, it, it's like as if he'd um, stubbed his toe or something. He, he just can't play that week. I mean, dangerous ground. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So, of course, I'm sure everybody listening to this was aware. The government obviously said on Monday that no professional sport would be able to return until at least June the 1st. And, of course, it would be behind closed doors. But, of course, seemingly, although as, as, as we all witnessed, some rather vague and... Uh, confusing guidelines but I think think the thrust of, of what they're trying to ease a lockdown is to try and help some of the economy back on its feet a little bit football of course is a significant and for clubs Adam you know this this threat if you like or this this danger of not completing the season comes at a cost of 700 plus million pounds in TV money money plus all of the other millions in, in match related revenues that would be lost Clubs potentially, Burnley have made very stark admissions about how uh, a failure to end the season would would impact them almost critically. The, the chairman was saying, from this point of view, from for the for the game, does football has to does it have to find a way to come back? I, th- I think that this is the biggest argument, isn't it, for for bringing football back? Because you can't argue with the financial trouble. That you know, a lot, a lot of clubs across the football pyramid. It's not just the Premier League, of course. You know, I think the main focus is on the Premier League because it's got the, the most amount of money uh, involved in it with all the TV rights, etc. But you know, you, you're going to see a lot of financial dif- difficulties. You'd presume, especially in like the likes of League One and League Two. So you know, you, I, I just think that the FA, the EFL, the Premier League, they've got to find some sort of financial solution which is going to be able to bail out a whole. A, a whole lot of clubs in 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 the coming months. It's not just going to be, it's not just going to be Premier League clubs, and uh, it, it it is really tough. It's a really tough situation. Like, I I still think the health and safety of everyone should be prioritised first. But you know, it, it it's all well and good. You know, an Everton fan may be saying that because you know Everton have obviously got financial backing of someone like Farhad Mashiri. You know, not everybody's going to have a billionaire uh, financial backer. So. You know, we could find the Premier League clubs in a couple of months down the line. You know, as you say, Burnley have been very vocal about this. You know, they could be in real danger. So I, I, I think there's just got to be some sort of blanket. There's got to be some sort of blanket solution which is going to be able to accommodate clubs from all all divisions across the pyramid because it's it's not just going to be a Premier League issue, but it seems that the Premier League is the most likely uh, division to come back at the minute. Mm. Um, so we understood. Or understand it as, as it pre- at present. A meeting next Monday, May the eighteenth, could potentially deliver a vote of the twenty clubs on how 
and in what form if football comes back in June. Um, Chris, a story you wrote this morning. Um, UEFA had given domestic leagues and competitions a deadline of June, uh, sorry, May the 25th to deliver um, a yes or no about completing or cancelling seasons. But now UEFA seem to be softening that deadline, flexible. And, and understandably, people have reacted to that by going, well, why was there a deadline in the first place? And isn't this just another sign that this is just going to go on and on and on until the point where everybody just decides it's not possible? And it, 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 it is going on and on. Like you say, that was a deadline that, that the uh, UEFA chief was actually speaking about a, a, a month ago. And things are changing so so quickly on a, on, a, on a week-to-week basis. And from what we understand now, they understand that it is a very nuanced situation. There's that many factors in play that um, they are willing um, to be a bit softer on this approach and give the Premier League a bit of time because obviously the, the Premier League are dependent on what the government's saying at the moment. They're saying that sport can resume from the start of June, but if these relaxed measures of lockdown don't go to plan, well, we might have a relapse and that might get put back. Um, the UEFA guidelines were built in because of, of course, the uh, whole qualification process for the UEFA competitions next season because we're going to have a point here that we're going to possibly reach one. Whereas the, the English season, unlike some of the, the other European ones who have just um, pulled up stumps and finished as they were, could be encroaching into what would have been the start of the, the 2020-21 season. And we're already seeing possible changes in regards to the UEFA qualifications. We saw, um, three, was it three years ago, when Everton were in the, the, the Europa League and that really early start to the season in in July, I mean, you would have Rosumbarok in Slovakia. Um, mm. Yeah, that's um, they, if people are ploughing on with the the plans for the start of next season. Well, at some at somewhere along the line, you've got to decide. Well, enough's enough, and it, and it either gets finished or it doesn't. Mm. Um, one thing that was voted on at Monday's meeting, Adam, was player contracts and, of course, the issue of players whose contracts are due to finish on June the 30th. Of course, within the context of if the Premier League does come back, it will be played well into July, possibly into August, we don't know, but well into July, wouldn't it, at this stage? Mm. Um, So for Everton, this was quite an interesting and and, and pivotal vote. The the Premier League clubs decided uh, that contracts can be extended, as FIFA had, had recommended, if both parties agree. Now, Crystal Ball time, City comes back in June, Everton have games left, take us through June, through July, maybe touching into August. Does the squad need Umanias? Does the squad need Kudo Martinez? Senior players um, with the potential for extra subs being allowed, for the potential danger of increased risk of injury, uh, of course, virus, of course, because of this this quick turnaround. Do Everton hand extensions to those two players? Uh, does the squad need them? No. Uh, should they be handed new contracts? I think absolutely. I think it, this, is, this is such an imp- unprecedented situation for everybody across football. And I think the importance of having that vote in yesterday's meeting was to bring clarity to the players in these sorts of situations now if you can't imagine what it must be like for a football player to be reaching you know the the closing months of your contract and you know you could have had an injury throughout this season you might not have been informed this season your, your future could be up in the air 
And, you know, that must be a really worrying situation for a lot of players. And, you know, that could be the case for any any players who could be playing for Everton as well. And I think Everton have almost got an obligation that they, sh- they should say, right, these are the rules, but we will give you until the end of whenever this season is. And then you can have that clarity and then you can move on as it would as it would be at the end of any other season. I think that that's probably the right way to go about things because I'd hate, I'd hate to, for it to be, you know, you come round to June when the season's going to start up again and you've got some sort of contract dispute between a club and a player in the middle of this crisis as well. I just don't think, I don't think that's the right way to go about things. So I, I think, you know, while the squad probably doesn't need uh, the likes of Umanias and Kuko Martina, I think even if it, it came down to it, I probably would offer them a new contract, you know, for the until the end of the season, at least. But Chris, you know, Everton, you know, with Marcel Brands leading this pursuit of trying to reduce a wage bill and a squad size, will not have factored in an extra six to eight weeks payment for two players that he was, a couple of months ago, had already probably penciled a line through their names for next season because they weren't going to feature. So from the club's point of view, why should they be paying 80 grand plus a week for six to eight weeks on two players that, in all likelihood, won't play. It's bizarre, isn't it? The Umania story. <laughs> He's been loaned out a couple of times now. And he, he didn't get his locker, of course, from the Ronald Koeman. And, you know, just lingering on for those few extra weeks um, this summer. Um, can't get rid. I mean, at some point, you know, before 2020 is out, I presume his time at the club will finally come to, a, come to an end. But... Um, yeah, um, it, like you say, both parties have to ad- agree. Maybe, maybe they will be um, um, just take it as a, as a business decision and be harsh and say, well, you're not part of the plans. Whereas somebody like Jibrel Sadibi, who is in on loan, um, he is part of the plans. We'll keep on paying his wage as long as Monaco agree to that. But sorry, lads, you're, you're, you're out the door. I, I don't know what uh, Marcel Brands is, is thinking or the, 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 the club's pay masters yeah as Adam says it, it might not be the right decision might be harsh I, I don't know they might be, they might base it on a, a case-to-case um, basis and say okay yeah Sadibian Nias um, um, Martina out don't know yeah it could be it could be a balancing act in that respect couldn't yeah. it if, if you know and if, if Valladolid want to pay Sandro's wages for another six weeks and Schalke want to pay Kenny's wages you know I suppose that's that's off the books isn't it that would have would have become would have come back on Mm. Well, it's interesting how it's going to work with other leagues, isn't it? Because would would Monaco have the right to recall Sadibi? Because they they don't have to follow our rules necessarily, do they? Well, no, and, that, and this is the this is the grey area because FIFA only made recommendations. They obviously don't have the, I guess, the legal power to 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 impose a blanket decision across all leagues, do they? That's why they recommended yeah. it. But I guess it's in Monaco's interest to allow us to continue paying Sadibi. For another six to eight weeks, because obviously yeah. he wasn't in their plans. But you're right. If, for example, their two other right backs suddenly got injured, or mm. heaven forbid, you know, contracted the virus, in the next few weeks, you know, and up to the end of June, they, I suppose they're well within their rights to recall it. But again, this is why maybe Everton need to act fast if they haven't already done so, and um, and make a decision and, and try and tie him down, uh, get that agreed. Obviously, we know about Bainesy. Um, you know, and there was talk about a new deal before this suspension, and we would expect that that would pick up. Um, what about Stecklenburg? 
Who's the other one on this list? It, it, it's really interesting, isn't it? The, the goalkeeper situation as it stands is just a bit of an intriguing one. I think a lot of it would, would depend on Losel's future as well, wouldn't it? Because you know he, he's obviously came to the club and not made an appearance yet for Everton in a competitive game. Uh, sent out on loan to Huddersfield to be injury cover for them after Camille Grabada's injury. Uh, it doesn't look like Huddersfield would be able to afford them, going by what their chairman was saying a few months ago. So it looks like he's going to come back to Everton, but you know, is he is he going to be able to get that chance to challenge Pickford? Are we going to sign somebody else in that position to try and challenge Pickford? Are we going to bring up Joe Virginia, of course, who had his own loan spell uh, earlier this season, which didn't really work out at Redden. But, you know, he's come back to the under-23s and he's started performing again under Unsworth. So, you know, could he maybe step up to the first-team activities and start working as a backup? You know, it's, it's just it's just so interesting. And then you throw Stecklenberg into the mix, who's always been, you know, a solid keeper since he's, since he's been at the club. You know, he's set, stepped in on a number of occasions and provided solid backup. And I've got no doubt that he probably would be solid backup again next season. It's just whether we want to sign somebody who's going to be able to push Pickford that extra little bit, you know, somebody who's going to maybe challenge him for that number one spot. Uh, but again, we've got the financial constraints. Do we need to sign players in other positions before we prioritise the signing of a goalkeeper? It, 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 it really is an intriguing question. Like, it, pro the more this situation goes on with the coronavirus, you know, maybe it becomes a little bit more likely that Stecklenberg will be given another year or so on his contract. You know, I don't think it'd be the worst decision in the world by any means. And, and Bees, just, just on that, before we finish, um, Adam mentioned the uncertainties of, of how the transfer market will look, the financial landscape of football. We don't know how much Everton will have to spend and how much of that transfer kitty will be impacted by not necessarily being able to sell players that perhaps a couple of months ago had been on the list and, you know, profit would have been expected on X, Y and Z. Um, with Sadibi, um, as it stands, as we understand it, of course, there was an, there's an agreed fee there for Everton to trigger in, in the loan deal if they want him. Does that make a decision easier for Everton? Because they know if, if we give £12.7 million, £50 million, Euros, We've got this player. There's no uncertainty about sending him back and then trying to find somebody haggling, negotiating, and then running into a situation where, come the start of next season, we were unable to find another right back um, to, 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 to challenge with Coleman. Of course, we're factoring in uh, the assumption that Kenny may not be back in the squad. We don't know. We don't know what the plans are there. But is Sadibi more of a sure bet? Because we know what we're getting. We know how much it's going to cost. And he's there. I suppose he isn't like you say, he, he, he is there and he is a fixed price and that you're not having to go to the to the clubs. But all the the noises we keep hearing is that um, prices are, are going to go down the, this summer. That's what people keep telling us because um, of the, the nature of the market. Right back is the one area which is still up for grabs. There's so many variables in there. What Seamus Coleman brings to the table, what John Joe Con Kenny, who the manager hasn't had a chance to see up close yet, what he could bring, and obviously Sadibi as well. It, it, it's, it genuinely is. It could be any one of those three could be first choice next season or a another. So I, I don't know. Um, given that we keep hearing that the, um, um, the the prices are going down, 
I'd be possibly in, in, inclined to to wait. I mean, he, he said he's he's had some good moments. Sadibi obviously comes with a good pedigree at international level for France, but I think a lot of people remain unconvinced um, about what um, what he does bring and. Um, Given his, his age now, should be at the, the peak of his powers, and perhaps perhaps they will um, ju just let it slide. Um, see, see you, who else is out there? Or at least have a, a little look at John Joe. Of course, I mean we haven't. Sorry, the very very last one on another complicated issue. We haven't. Yeah. Um, we have not, of course, discussed the potential for Everton to, to say to Monaco, "No, you can have him back as of July the first. John Joe, you're coming back." <laughs> Yeah, that, that created it's all a whole new issue, doesn't it? You know, will will the Bundesliga season be finished by then? I'm not. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure how their plans are meant to be working uh, for the for the long term. But you know, you can imagine that Schalke certainly wouldn't be happy with uh, John Joe being called back in that sort of scenario. You'd imagine maybe even John Joe wouldn't wouldn't be all too happy with that scenario because you know he's played so well for Schalke this season. I think he's started 23 of their 25 Bundesliga games this season. So it's been a huge part of their campaign. They're still in the, in the running for the Champions League as well. You know, if, if it came down to it and he was called back, you, you know, it, it, could be, it could be the case that he'd be quite unhappy with not being able to see that campaign through. So, yeah, I think that that would provide its own its own separate world of issues. I think I'd agree with Bees, though, in terms of Sadibi. Uh, I think he's been... a, a you know, a decent enough signing for us this season on loan. You know, a good a good stopgap. But I think I'd I'd be willing to take a little bit of a risk and try and try and bring in somebody different for the right back role in the summer. Interesting, complicated issues from top to bottom, isn't there? And uh, I'm sure the confusion will go on for some time longer. But hopefully, next week maybe we might get a little bit more clarity on what's going to happen with the season and, of course, specifically with Everton. Um, chaps, thanks very much for your company and uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back again on Friday. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.